Welcome to Transform Now, the podcast brought to you by robotic process automation pioneer, Blue Prism. Digital transformation has the potential to reshape the way companies service their customers, engage their employees, and manage their operations. Whether you're looking to develop strategies, tactics, and best practices to positively impact the future of work, or you're curious to learn how other companies have successfully navigated their digital transformation programs, then this podcast is for you. We're here to help you transform now. Hello, everyone. I'm Brad Hairston with Blue Prism. Welcome to the Transform Now podcast. Today, I am happy to have as my guest, Mike Kaiser, Senior Identity Strategist at SailPoint Technologies, an identity security company and a Blue Prism partner. I will be talking with Mike about how his company provides identity access management for enterprises and how they do this for both human and digital workforces. Mike, welcome. Thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Brad. Pleasure to be here. Excellent. So why don't you give everyone an introduction before we jump in? Uh, sure. Uh, my name is Mike Kaiser. As Brad said, I'm the senior identity strategist currently at SailPoint. I've spent about, oh gosh, 18, 20 years in identity and security with a number of vendors, including IBM. I've done a little bit of everything from writing code to testing code to talking to C-levels internationally and doing international architectures. So kind of a, a jack-of-all-trades there, primarily in security and most recently, of course, in identity as well. And so I've seen a lot of changes over the years and excited about where identity is going forward from here as well. Well, Mike, October is National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. So it makes all the sense in the world to have SailPoint on the podcast. Cybersecurity in general has been getting an increasing amount of attention for obvious reasons. I mean, hacks are in the news almost every single day. Ransomware attacks in particular seem to be more commonplace than ever. You've got countries around the world, you can fill in the blank here, using cyber attacks as their preferred method of state-sponsored warfare. And even the federal government is getting into the act, pushing hard for agencies to adopt zero trust cybersecurity architectures. So quite a bit going on in this space and identity security is right in the middle of it. Mike, without a doubt, you have one of the coolest titles I've heard of in a long time, senior identity strategist. What does this role involve exactly? Well, you know, it, everything and nothing. What I <laughs> tend to do is I try to see where the market is, where it's going, where customers are going, what they're thinking about it, how people actually using and doing identity, if you want to call it that, mm -hmm. are thinking and where they're headed. And so then I try and match that up to what we do, what SailPoint does. I try to guide our product strategy. I try to guide our messaging and just try to make our products be helpful for where people are heading. And, and along with that, I talk with colleagues in the industry. I'm involved with various standards. Uh, I speak a lot internationally, trying to pitch a vision for where we need to go as well. So it's kind of a push little thing, but it, it's pretty exciting because while I'm not ultimately in the critical path of a lot of things, I do get to influence how people think and be influenced by other great thinkers in the industry at large as well. Sure, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Mike, how would you define identity? Well, there are a ton, I would say, of different definitions out there. I, I think it really 
in the context of what we're talking about, using identity to drive security, I think it's the digital equivalent of who we are in real life, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and three primary areas, really. Attributes, access, and behavior. There's attributes, which is what people can know about me. Address, job title, all that kind of good stuff. And then there's access. Like, what do I have access to based off of the combination of that identity and policies that exist throughout, say, an organization. And the behavior is what I do with that identity or just what I do in general, right? Do I have a tendency to work at coffee shops? Do I, I tend to wear hats, which I happen to do? And obviously some of this is more valuable than other parts of it to determine policy and determine access to things and to govern it well, but it all makes up what I would call an overall identity. And that's kind of a breaking down to three categories, but obviously in the digital realm, identity can be much more than that. But I think you can categorize identity down into those kind of three buckets in a way. Okay. Mike, a quote that has been attributed to you is, identity is the new blue. And in fact, we're titling this podcast that it's such a great quote. What do you mean by that exactly? Yeah, I've been talking about this kind of odd concept for the last couple of months. And to be honest, I'm always looking for a story to talk about things that are significant in our space, especially around identity, because I feel like stories communicate these concepts better than just telling people facts or numbers or anything mm -hmm. else. And so a day is a new blue. I think identity is having a moment and reading back in Oh, goodness, like January of 2020, I came across this book talking about the history of the color blue. And it turns out, originally, blue did not exist. You see, in the, in the ancient Western world, blue was a largely non-used color. It was too hard to procure the materials, way too hard to work with. There were some elements that used it in Greece and Rome, they used it sparingly for different reasons, but it was never a primary color. It was never the main foreground color because it was just too difficult, right? And so as a consequence, since the color technology didn't exist, the cultural significance for blue didn't exist either. In other words, if you wanted to tell a story, you wouldn't use blue, right? Maybe you've heard of Little Red Riding Hood, a little girl dressed in red carrying a pot of white butter to her grandmother or someone dressed like her grandmother who was wearing black. Uh, red, uh, white, and black were basically the entire palette of the ancient Western world. And it's not that blue didn't exist, to be clear, right? Greeks and Romans saw the blue water. They saw the blue sky. But if you wanted to, to paint or do something, you wouldn't use blue to represent it. Now, all that changed in round about the 12th century. A couple technology advances took place in stained glass in France and in other places in Europe in terms of how they could actually dye clothing blue. And it was uh, distribution and productions took off a bit, a little bit. And then as a result, it was culturally appropriated. Uh, the Virgin Mary and religious stained glass churches and other visual depictions, religious depictions, the Virgin was always depicted in blue. And the King of France and other royalty adopted blue as one of their primary colors, and they never had done this before. And so what happened was blue almost overnight went from this unknown color, unused color, to suddenly 
uh, being a color adopted by those who were healthy or wealthy or powerful, the top echelon of royalty and key religious figures. And so it was the color of all these things. And it was very similar, I found, to what happened when the pandemic hit. Hmm. Let me explain a little more here. <laughs> what I mean is when the pandemic hit, what happens? We all started working from home, right? We all started working remotely if you could. Mm -hmm. um, and when you worked remotely, you were using digital identity to do that. It's kind of a metonymy for working from home. If you work from home, you had digital identity. If you had digital identity, often you could work from home. And so now identity in the last year and a half, if you lived in a wealthy country, if you had the right job, well, then you could use your digital identity. And just like blue became a color of symbolizes health, wealth, and well-being, identity was doing the same thing. Because if you can use your digital identity and work from home, you have better health outcomes because you're not being put in dangerous situations. Mm -hmm. If you have digital identity, your kids are likely to have it as well. So they can be educated remotely. And so it's just this fascinating parallel. Identity has always existed. But in the last two years, and especially at the rise of things like zero trust, identity has come to the forefront and it's having its moment like it never has before. And so identity is paralleling blue. There's a whole lot more we could talk about, but blue goes from almost nothing to over time being widely distributed, widely available, much like blue jeans, and becomes the most popular color in the world. And I think that's the trajectory identity is on and we'll see it uh, grow into over time. Wow, that's fascinating. Love that explanation. Mike, as you talk with companies about identity access management and cybersecurity in general, where do you see most organizations falling short? Originally, I would have said, a year and a half ago, I would have said being prepared for change. Mm -hmm. When the pandemic hit, we had a lot of organizations, a lot of enterprises throwing in MFA, throwing in things to facilitate this new environment, right? Where the old assumptions didn't quite apply any longer. Mm -hmm. We've gone past that wave. And what I'm really pushing organizations into these days is, is thinking ahead, thinking forward. With identity having its moment, like I said before, mm -hmm. at this point, we have the attention of boards and decision makers in almost every organization, right? And so I'm encouraging companies and organizations to think a step ahead, not just to catch up to where they should have been, but now that they have this focus, now that they have this capital, if you will, to push ahead and say, what's the next growth edge that we can get to? Not that we're neglecting what we're doing, but making a leap in what we're doing. Instead of just playing catch up, mm -hmm. maybe going to passwordless or thinking about how ML or some other newer technology could actually be brought to bear in the core use cases for that organization. And, and it's a challenge, right? It's always a challenge for any of us to be stretched and to think creatively and, and about the future rather than about what we haven't done in the past, maybe. Right. So, Mike, where does SailPoint fit into all of this? How do you help companies identify where the blind spots are as it relates to identity? Could you explain that? Sure. Well, if identity is having a, a moment, then it is a, a key uh, way of controlling the access that's being granted, right? If you're making access decisions based on policy and that's being based off of ultimately identity, mm -hmm. then you're going to have to trust those attributes 
and the knowledge about the behavior you have for about those identities, right? You're going to make sure that those attributes, the sources of identity are accurate, they're trustable, and then you're going to make sure that policy-based identity is enforced throughout the entire organization. And so that's what SailPoint does. It gives you visibility into all of your identities, gives you a visibility into all of your data, your resources, your applications, the access models within those, and then it abstracts it back out to give you a single view of what each of those identities has access to and gives you a central place to govern it, control it, establish policies so that speed and scale can be enforced no matter if it's a human or a digital identity or really anything else. And then most importantly, especially for a lot of heavily regulated industries, it gives you a way to show that you've done what you said you were going to do. A provable route to say, look, here's the record of all the decisions we made and why, and here's proof that we are responsible and ethical with using identity to secure access to all these data resources and applications for our employees, for the organization, and for others as well. Hmm. Very nice. Mike, when companies embrace RPA and they start using digital workers to automate processes all over the enterprise, security and compliance are clearly always top of mind. For example, it's important to understand that digital workers routinely request access and they manage identities just like humans do. So how does the integration of SailPoint and Blue Prism give enterprises visibility into governing digital workers just like their human counterparts? It's really funny because I've watched this growth of the use of bots and robotic process automation over time, right? Mm -hmm. And I like to think of it as a spectrum of IoT. From one end where you have these passive devices all the way up to you have really complicated AI and everywhere in between. And as you move up the spectrum, especially into something like robotic process automation, you wind up needing the same things you would with a human a user, a human entity, right? Mm -hmm. It has access to things that needs to be governed. And so SailPoint and Blue Prism together help people to do that, right? Basically, it, it maintains the up-to-date information mm -hmm. about Blue Prism credentials while assuring the, the access those credentials is appropriate. It does governance over top of the Blue Prism perspective so that you're not just managing human identities or not just managing machine identities, but you're governing the whole set so that no matter if it's digital or human, you have an up-to-date viewpoint showing you what those digital identities from Blue Prism or human identities have access to and help you govern it over time. Hmm. Well, clearly digital workers do interact with sensitive business data and applications as part of the automation activities they do. So it makes sense that digital workers, while not being the same as human identities, do need the appropriate level of governance. For, for sure, right? Just because they're digital doesn't mean they're not something that needs to be governed. And in fact, I would argue that it's even more important that your digital workforce have the oversight that identity governance can provide. Hmm. And it needs to be at speed and at scale, right? Because unlike humans that get hired, even if they're contractors, they get hired on some week-long, month-long contract base. With robotic process automation, they come up and down really, really, really quickly. And so you need some system that's integrated and automated to be able to handle that kind of speed and scale. And so together, that's what SailPoint and Blue 
PRISM does, right? It, it retains a repository of the credentials, which can be granted access to Blue Prism roles, processes, and resources. Mm-hmm. And then again, SailPoint puts identity governance on top of that. So they can aggregate credentials and access rights, add and remove access rights to credentials, enable, disable. Anything that's governance related, you definitely need that. And I think the combination of powerful solutions like Blue Prism and SailPoint together are definitely the way to go. Like I said, because it's going to be more and more automated going forward in particular. And so you'll need something that's integrated in systems that can understand and work together to provide that oversight and protect those sensitive resources. How do organizations benefit the most by using SailPoint and Blue Prism together? About four or five ways. First, I would say intelligent automation and efficiencies, right? You have the comprehension of the digital workforce you're reducing unnecessary manual processes because all of that is automated between the two. And therefore, you can decrease staffing costs and other things. Basically, you're driving efficiency in your business. Second would be visibility and management, able to be able to see everything your digital workforce has access to and be able to modify that access as you see fit. Correct accessing and versions would be the third one. You can make sure that Digital workers, if they have password resets, that's managed appropriately, the right versioning exists to do their job, and that the access is correct for whatever that digital worker is responsible for. Fourth, I've already hit on this, which is auditing and compliance, right? Mm -hmm. You want to be able to prove that you're doing what you said you would do. And then five is kind of policy and plans, right? Basically, you're defying what happens when these events happen. Or what takes place if a digital worker comes in and they fit into this uh, category? Or if you want to retire a digital worker or create a digital worker, you want these plans already established and enforced beforehand. So these five ways are are the ways that uh, most organizations can benefit from using SailPoint and Blue Prism. And this has been a long journey, right? This has mm-hmm. evolved over time. I'm sure y'all at Blue Prism have seen the same thing. I had conversation after conversation with enterprises who didn't even know that they had organizations who were spinning up their own bot repository. And so they needed something to be authoritative, mm-hmm. almost like the equivalent of an HR system, but for digital identities. And so companies like Blue Prism and y'all came along to, to, to do that and provide that. And so having those conversations really has formed how mm-hmm. SailPoint and Blue Prism work together. And so it's based off of those needs rather than us saying, well, we think this would be helpful. No, it's actually real world scenarios and real world outcomes that we're trying to drive together, mm. both organizations together. Mike, are there specific industries where the combined Blue Prism SailPoint value proposition has generated more momentum to date, for example, in the higher regulated industries? I think it it really depends on the vertical. I've seen it in multiple places. I've seen it be really strong in places where there's a lot of robotic process automation taking place, especially in shipping verticals, transportation Mm -hmm. verticals sometimes customer service verticals where they're doing interaction with customers, first point of contact being RPA. And with the one that's most fascinating to me actually are the financial verticals. Hmm. And the longer I'm in this industry, the more I realize that FinTech is often ahead of the curve in terms of using innovation, 
using things for automation of speed and scale. And so I think that's also been a one that's really impressed me, not with just RPA, but some other technologies as well that have embraced this new wave of innovation and weren't afraid to try it out hmm. and see where it led. Mike, can you share a customer success story or two where SailPoint and Blue Prism were utilized together to achieve a specific business outcome? I have a feeling you have several as the master storyteller. One specific one, maybe not, only because I've had so many conversations since dating back to 2017, 2018, when we first started mm-hmm. having these discussions. But I think uh, there's a, a bank or two that really, they realized they were embracing this bot infrastructure and it was on top of AD. And so what they really needed was they started thinking about how to, to catalog these bots and to make sure they knew where they were, right? Mm-hmm. And so they wound up using SailPoint and Blue Prism as a combination to not only just control the bots um, and control their life cycle, but then place identity governance over top of that. And particularly mm-hmm. in this bank's environment, the last thing they wanted were these digital workers having license to accumulate unnecessary access and do other nefarious things only because they weren't human. Hmm. And so I, I think that what it really did was it opened up some of those things we talked about before, right? It using SailPoint and Blue Prism together meant they weren't trying to, to do all that manually, right? There was right. automation in place and there were plans in place so that if you wanted to do some automation, if whether or not you were at headquarters or whether you were at one of the branches, for you to have a digital worker meant that you had a process and a policy and automation and play in place so that everyone knew what to do and they were playing from the same playbook. And what that did was it did two things from a very high scale. One, it increased efficiency because they didn't have to go around and ask, what do we do it? How do we do this? It was an established, well-oiled machine with an automation process. Like I said, you can, mm-hmm. uh, you know, start up your RPA here and here's the process you go. And as you do it, you get this governance over top. And so it, it increased efficiency and it also increased their security stance at the same time. Because when you have people doing things off going rogue, that's really when you run into problems and you really increase your attack surface, at least what I've seen in the past. That's a great story. Any others you want to share? I think that they're Uh, are a number of innovative companies out there who are already using both. And I think they're doing it um, in part to see how far they can go down the digital transformation road. Mm -hmm. They are adopting some cloud infrastructure, which means humans can't keep up with some of their process and their workflow that they have. And so they're using digital workers and spinning them up and spinning them down really rapidly has needed to deal with changes in some of this hybrid cloud infrastructure. And because they're doing it so quickly, again, that you can't have humans involved for the governance portion of it either. And so to keep it within guardrails, SailPoint comes over top there as well. And so that's a similar story to the financial industry, Mm -hmm. but this is more innovation-based and more, they didn't want to be slowed down. And so they, they paid a little more time and a little more thought to setting up the right tooling and the right automation so Mm -hmm. how they can actually use that scale and speed that the cloud promises. Great. Thank you. 
So Mike, one more question for you. What does the future look like for identity access management? What, what are some ways you expect this area to evolve? More than anything else, I think over the next couple of years, we're going to continue to see things be more and more distributed. If you look okay. at data and resources and applications, they're not necessarily on-premises anymore, obviously. They're in multiple clouds, they're multiple locations, and workers and identities are now doing the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. I took a family vacation recently, but it didn't really matter for some of the things I actually called into because no one cared where I was as long as I was awake and had good lighting. And so I think you're going to see that more and more. And so what that means is that if not only the things we want to protect are distributed mm. and the identities are distributed, particularly in behavior, well, this means that if we're using identity, which we should, to decide what access is appropriate, it's going to have to be something that's massively accelerated as well, something that can deal with change, right? What's normal, not just for Mike in the past five years, what's normal for Mike in the past five to 10 days? How has attributes changed? How has his behavior changed? Mm -hmm. We need systems that can handle that change and be able to establish baselines for normality going forward and be able to do it at speed without slowing down. So I think the machine learning aspect is already here, but I think it's going to be embraced more and more. And along with that, I think you're going to have things around ethics and AI and ML, especially when it's with identity uh, and access management. In other words, it's one thing to have uh, an automated system. It's another thing to have an automated system where identity is rising to the forefront. If you think about some of these ML solutions, they need to be able to explain the decisions they're making, mm -hmm. not yeah. only to, to auditors, but also to humans, right? Mm -hmm. More and more of our, our lives will be controlled by digital workers and by digital identity. And so I think it's going to accelerate. And ultimately, I think one of the things we're going to have to really answer is how to accelerate that, but also how to accelerate it ethically. And that's a whole different half, half hour to an hour mm -hmm. discussion we could have. <laughs> but those are challenges I think that lie ahead for us. Great. Mike, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. I have definitely learned a lot about identity security, which is such an important area in the world of intelligent automation. Digital workers are definitely unique. They can be encrypted. They produce an immutable audit trail. So there's a lot of things intrinsically about them that lends itself to better compliance and, and more security. But you have articulated really well how SailPoint can add an even greater level of governance and security around a digital workforce. So thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and your insights and be well. Thanks for having me, Brent. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to Transform Now. For more insightful discussions on digital transformation and more, check out our podcast channel where you'll find all of our previous episodes. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. And if you like what you heard, please leave us a review. For more information about digital transformation and the future of work, check out blueprism.com to learn how Blueprism's digital workforce is enabling enterprise transformation now.